the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken, and it's this is the Tuesday edition of the show, which means we're here to take your questions, questions about the Bible, questions about Jesus, questions about doctrine and how to put the Word of God into practice in your life, uh, questions about church life, whatever we can do to help you understand what an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ means and how that changes your life. Um, and so we do that by taking your questions. And let me give you the phone numbers, 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877-630-5757, 877 630 5757. We have an email address. That's questions at calvarysa.com. Questions, plural, at calvarysa.com. We've got a church app, the Calvary Chapel of San Antonio app that allows you to submit questions that way. Super easy. That'll also end up in our email inbox. Um, And there's also the KSLR app, which allows you to listen live over the internet, and you can click the button at the top to connect you right to the producer at the radio station where you can ask your question on the air. Well, like I said, it's Tuesday, and here, real quickly at Calvary Chapel, we've got nothing going on, and so uh, we do have some questions submitted. We can take those right away. Let's jump right into it. The first one is from Jesse. Jesse says, is... Sabioth and Sabbath, the same thing. Good question, Jesse. I don't think I've taken this one before, but the answer is no. There are two different words, very closely related as it pertains to the English translation. But Sabioth, that's the way you pronounce what looks like Sabaoth, but it's Sabioth, is a different word than the word Sabbath. The Sabbath, obviously, is the day of rest, as prescribed according to the law in the Old Testament. The word Sabbath is a word that really describes uh, armies. It's a military term, primarily. It describes hosts, and it, uh, it it's used often to describe, like in 1 Samuel, in the Psalms, uh, in, even in Genesis, the title Lord of the Sabaoth or Lord of Sabaoth is a description of God uh, in his strength or power. Uh, like I said, militarily, uh, it's a description of 
not just his strength, oftentimes used in the context of judgment or power or force, but it's not exclusive to the Old Testament. Uh, James uses the word, Paul writing to the Romans, uses the title Lord of the Sabaoth. Uh, But this is the difference between those two words. Again, closely related in terms of the English translation, but a different meaning. Sabbath, again, meaning the day of rest. Interestingly enough, the Lord of the Sabbath is also a title ascribed to God in the New Testament. So Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus Christ is Lord of the Sabaoth. So I hope that helps. Excuse me. Uh, But yeah, I hope that helps, Jesse. Interestingly enough, uh, on a slightly tangential side note, but questions like this, I love because it means that you're you're studying your Bible, Jesse. And so, yes, keep reading and thank you for your question. Oh, let, let let me say something I forgot in the beginning. I jumped right into the questions, but... Uh, If you're tuning in for the first time this week, or even the first time from last week, uh, I'm on the air taking your calls and questions in place of Pastor Ron, my pastor who normally takes your calls and questions uh, about the Bible. He calls, I mean, he is the one that normally hosts this radio show. He is enjoying his vacation. I saw some pictures today. They're having a blast. I saw people, some of the families that came along, and they are on the beach, nice and tanned. Some of them uh, surprisingly tanned, so dark. I just laughed because they're having a blast. But that's why I'm on the air for Pastor Ron. I will finish out this week. Monday, he will be on the air and then Tuesday's a holiday. I said that incorrectly last week. Monday, he will be live on the air. And then Tuesday, July 4th, will be a, a pre-recorded version. Let's go right to our phone lines. Alan from San Antonio, you're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ken. Do you, do you remember me? I'm Alan uh, here in Universal City. Hi, Alan. Of course I do. Of course. In fact, I've been praying for you. It's really good to hear your voice. God bless you. It's good to hear yours, too. And I always enjoy listening to you on the radio. You're you're the greatest. Well, Christ is the greatest. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Alan. I had a question about whether I one chaplain said to me, you know, the punishment fits the crime and he said the punishment fits the crime, and I always believed it. But that's my question, because referring to the old man who was gathering the sticks in, in the Ten Moses in the Old Testament, and they caught him, and they put him, and they put him to death, you know, the old man, and they caught him gathering sticks, and they put him to death. And I was sure in my heart that he went to heaven. It was just, they just had to do that, because it was just so everyone would obey the law. So they just had to make an example out of him. And I know that, you know, he probably he probably went to heaven because the punishment fits the crime. But do you think the punishment fits the crime in past, present, and future and in the Old and New Testaments? And do you think that's true? Alan, Alan great question. And so uh, let me answer specifically the the instance that you're talking about. I believe it's in Numbers but yes, there, so in Numbers, this instance of uh, an older man collecting sticks was a violation of the Sabbath. Interestingly enough, the question that I just answered right before yours was uh, about that word, the Sabbath. But I believe it's in Numbers 15. But this is where uh, the judgment was executed because of a violation of the law. Now, you have to remember, we do not live under the dispensation of the law today. Uh, we have to read the Bible in its context. Um, the short answer to your question is yes, the, the judgment should fit the crime. But in the New Testament context, how we interpret that is this. Each one of us, Alan, have violated God's law. We have all sinned. And, and James tells us, if you've even sinned once or you've broken one law, Romans, Paul writes to Romans and says, all of us have sinned 
and the wages of sin is death. That's the judgment that fits the crime. And so the answer is yes. Now, here's the good news about that. When we talk about judgment and we talk about the, uh, the, the judgment that fits the crime, uh, in God's perspective, according to God's economy, there, may, uh, there isn't a, a variation in the levels of sin. You're either in sin or you're not. Now, here on earth, the way we live our lives, there are different consequences to different sin. We get that. But you're either a sinner or you're not. And there either is sin or you're perfect. Now, that standard is impossible for mankind because each one of us have sinned. So we have to accept the fact that each one of us are sinners and the punishment our crime deserves is death. That's the wages of our sin. And, and I love it because once you grasp that, Alan, once we have that mindset, and I know you because I, I know you're a believer, but this makes it super simple because we're a sinner that deserves death. It doesn't matter if you're a sinner on Wall Street or you're a sinner that's on the streets. We're all the same in that sense that we fall short of the standard and the punishment for the crime, if you will, the crime of sin is death. That's why when Jesus came and died for our sin, he took our place, paying a price that we could never pay. And that's why we love him so much, Alan. So I hope that helps. Alan, thank you for your call. And it really is good to hear your voice. You sound like you're doing better than the last time we spoke. Call again. Let's go back to our phone lines. Scott from San Antonio, you're on the air. Good afternoon, Pastor Ken. How are you today? Hi, Scott. I'm doing really well. Thanks for asking. I was having a conversation um, with a, uh, a lady the other day, and she talked about baptism in the Holy Spirit. And uh, I just wanted to take of what's biblical and what, what kind of gets out of control in that, in that phrase, because I'm not really sure what she meant by it, but if you could just kind of talk about that a little bit, maybe where they're coming from and, and what's, what's true about it and what's not, it gets carried away, I guess. So I'll listen to you on the air. Very good question, Scott. So baptism of the Holy Spirit is biblical. This is what Jesus says uh, in Acts, in the first chapter of Acts. The book of Acts is a wonderful example of the acts of the Holy Spirit. That really is what the, the book describes. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the, the word baptism literally means immersion, to be immersed in. But the way that the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place in the life of a believer is is twofold. And so there is an initial baptism into the family of God. This is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is what happens when when a person becomes born again. This is a one-time occurrence. However, the second part of this, and this is probably what your conversation is about with this other person, is an ongoing occurrence for the individual believer. And this is described, Paul writes that uh, we ought to, to the Ephesians, that we should uh, not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5. And what he's saying there is uh, to be filled, to be baptized, to be empowered, whatever you want to call it, uh, you've got to get it. You've got to let it happen in your lives. And this is a, a reoccurring instance of the Holy Spirit empowering us so that we could walk in the Spirit. He already lives in us if we're born again. But in addition to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is being filled with the Spirit. And uh, in that passage in, in Ephesians, when Paul describes being filled with the Spirit, it, it is literally described there, the, the, the tense, the verb tense he uses 
says to be constantly in a state of being filled. So the idea there is that you're being filled, but you're constantly in that state of being filled. It, it, it should be something that takes place over and over and over in our lives. And it simply means that it's the power of God's Spirit working in us. And that's what the Bible means when it says being baptized in the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, um, whatever you want to call it. That's what I say, Scott. Just get it. Well, I hope that helps. Thank you for your call, Scott. And, and oh, let me add to this the... The, and you mentioned this in your question too, so uh, I apologize for not addressing it, but Scott, when you, when you were talking about what, what it's like, or, or I think your implication was what's the limit of it, there are some churches that take this out of hand, uh, hyper-Pentecostal churches, uh, some hyper-charismatic churches, they take the baptism of the Holy Spirit to mean all kinds of weird things, uh, making noises and, and uh, shaking and convulsing. And, you know, you just turn on your TV and so-called Christian TV has all kinds of weird things that are going on. And they associate these weird things with the baptism of the Spirit. That's not the baptism of the Spirit. This is commanded by Jesus, according to his word in the New Testament, that we are to be filled with his Spirit. Again, that's the emphatic, uh, in, the emphatic command in Ephesians, not to get out of hand, not to go wild and go crazy, and and it's definitely not anything to do with being slain in the spirit. That's not even a real thing. That's a different spirit. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, and being baptized in the Holy Spirit seem, simply means that. You're not operating in the power of your own strength. You're operating in the power of God's Spirit. And in order to do that, you need to be filled and refilled and filled over and over again by His Spirit. You know, in the Old Testament, there is an interesting dynamic where we we see Old Testament characters like King David and even unsaved, what we would call unsaved, ungodly characters in the Old Testament, like King Saul, who it says the Spirit of God came upon them. King Saul in particular, remember he would prophesy, and it specifically says in 1 Samuel that the Spirit God's spirit would come upon him. This would be the epi experience coming upon him temporarily for a certain purpose. And he would prophesy. In other words, out of his mouth would come the oracles of God, the encouragement from the scriptures. And even if he wasn't somebody that we would call a saved person, somebody who isn't walking with the Lord, God's spirit is still able to use an ungodly man temporarily. Now, why do I bring that up? Well, because in a New Testament context, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. The people of the Old Testament did not have that. So we have, if you will, an advantage, Scott, where we can look at the, the the people of the Old Testament and see the uh, the amazing things that they did as the Spirit of God would come upon them, that epi-experience, temporary as it was, is the same epi-experience that comes upon us as new as a New Testament believers. Epi, this is the, the filling of the Holy Spirit for a certain task, for a certain purpose. The N-experience is the indwelling, the E-N experience is a relationship we have with the Holy Spirit that they didn't have in the Old Testament. But the baptism part is after you have the indwelling of God's Spirit, the N, then you experience the reoccurring epi-experience where he comes upon you. And all we do 
is we, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit is just to ask him. Just to ask him. The best thing to do, what I recommend is when you wake up in the morning, because our flesh is looking for an opportunity to seize the day, right then and there, ask God to fill you with his spirit before you get filled with the flesh. We do that throughout the day. And that will allow God to use us for his glory. What a great question, Scott. Thank you. I love that. Uh, This is something that I, I, I think is often overlooked in the New Testament church with our with our current church culture, our modern westernized church culture, so extreme, what I mean by that is we, sometimes we, we, we often focus on the extremes. We go to the extreme of what we think is the Holy Spirit by doing weird things, or we go the opposite direction where we're afraid of the Holy Spirit and we don't even walk in the Spirit. We just do the same thing every day, and that's religion. That's dead. So these two extremes is not the Holy Spirit. It's not to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus walks with us every single day. And to be baptized every single day in the Spirit means we're walking with him. Now, on a tangent to this, baptism in the Holy Spirit is different then the water baptism. We've got a water baptism coming up here in in a couple of months. We usually have it uh, early uh, early August. And what we do is we get together as a church body. And for anyone that wants to be baptized as a professing believer, they make a public proclamation of their faith in Christ by going into the water and coming out of the water, signifying what has already taken place. They die with Christ in the water and come up alive with him. That's the water baptism. So, But it's the same in the sense that it's the Spirit of God empowering us, working through us. But the water baptism is just a public proclamation. So in that sense, they're different. We do the water baptism... Uh, once. Uh, if you're a believer, you should get baptized. And if you're a kid and you understand what it means to be born again and you have the you have the, 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 the mental capacity to understand that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, then get baptized. If you're an adult that hasn't got baptized in the water, but you're a believer, well, then you should get baptized because Jesus said to. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit... Every single day. Every single day. We are just inside four, four minutes, so we don't have time to take any calls on this half of the show. I, got, oh, I can do a quick one here. We're inside three minutes now. So this next one is from Anonymous. What does it mean to not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing in regards to giving? Well, Anonymous, this, this is what Jesus says in the Sermon of the Mount from Matthew chapter 6. And you're right, the context here is about giving. And what, he's, what he means is really simple. When Jesus says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing in terms of giving, he's saying, as the person that gives, you have to be uh, readily forgetful of what you gave. This, the giver should give what God says to give and don't dwell on it. Literally, it's don't tell anybody about it. Don't talk about it to people. It's between you and God. But he elaborates in the, the remainder of that verse by saying what we give should be done in secret. And that's really the key here. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. You do it, you're giving, 
in secret. Nobody needs to know about it, and you don't even have to dwell on it. And so, Anonymous, I, I hope that helps. This is something that uh, I, I think as Christians, we, we have to guard our hearts against um, letting people know about things that are private between us and the Lord. And you know. And giving is one of those things. Jesus specifically says, this is something that you ought to do without anybody else knowing. So much that you don't even dwell on it yourself. That means if you gave to the Lord, praise the Lord, but you're not thinking about what you gave and how much you gave. The Lord told you what to do and you're obedient to do it, and then you move on. This is one of the things we always do on Sundays when we do our announcements. We spend just a few seconds on giving. We don't pass a plate. We, we say that there are offering boxes in the back. There's a, another way to give if you want to give online. But the most important thing is that you seek the Lord and do what he says, and you do it with a grateful heart. You don't need to let anybody else know about it. Anonymous, thank you for your question. It's a good one. Well, you can hear the music. That means the first half of the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life is done. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the Tuesday edition of the word to stand on for life. My name is Pastor Ken and I'm filling in for Pastor Ron this week. As he enjoys his wonderful vacation, both he and Paula send their love. He will be back on the air on Monday when he returns live. In the meantime, the show continues with your questions. Let me give you the phone numbers. 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877-630-5757. The email address real quickly is questions at calvarysa.com, questions at calvarysa.com. Let's go right to our phone lines. Cindy from San Antonio, you're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ken. Hi, Cindy. It's good to hear from you. Oh, it's good to hear from you. I practice saying Pastor Ken instead of Pastor Ron. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I thought Sunday was a really good study about being a tree that produces good fruit. And I'd been thinking about it, and I was reading um, about the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I was thinking about... You know, that's all the fruit of the Spirit, but there seems to be more than just having the fruit of the Spirit in our lives to being a tree that produces good fruit compared to a person who is not producing good fruit. And I wondered if you'd kind of talk about those those two things, and I'll listen on the radio. Bye. Wonderful. Thank you, Cindy. Bye. So, wonderful question. Uh I wanted to spend so much more time on Sunday talking about good fruit and using the fruit of the Spirit that you described from Galatians chapter 5. So I'm glad you brought it up, Cindy, because in, in that fifth chapter, what you mentioned there in verse 22 is exactly what is produced in the life of a believer as they spend time with Jesus. And I love this because there's a stark contrast between that fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the flesh just a few verses earlier. Uh, 
in I think it's in verse 19, but we see a list of the fruits of the flesh. And these things, the envy, strife, greed, uh, these are things that our flesh produces when we're in the flesh. And then Paul writes, but when we are filled with the Spirit, walking with Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit is what's being produced in our lives. Now, to your question about producing good fruit and the fruit of the Spirit, there really is no difference. You see, Cindy, uh, when we spend time with Jesus, when we're with him, the only fruit that's going to come out of our lives is good fruit. And what good fruit looks like is the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These nine things that describe really one fruit. That's why there's either good fruit or bad fruit. And it's singular intentionally because when you look at Galatians chapter 5, in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit there is also singular. I know we see nine attributes of it, but really the fruit of the Spirit is singular, and that's love. And the rest of these describe sort of different aspects of God's agape love. So it's not enough for us to say, well, I'm a Christian and I have good fruit. It's just not those same fruits that are described in Galatians. God does so much in the life of a believer that the good fruit isn't limited to just these things, but this is the description that God gives us through the Apostle Paul. Now, here's what I find so interesting about this, and this, I think, is how we make this practical. The fruit of the Spirit isn't what... Uh, we think is good from an earthly perspective. In other words, and I talk to some men that deal with this because there are some men who are believers and you know they walk around and the, the way they live their lives is, well, you know, that kind of fruit that's described there in the Bible is kind of soft. And, and I feel like the fruit of the Spirit is I have those, but I think the fruit of the Spirit that the Lord shows in me is more the the fruit of uh, assertiveness, the fruit of strength, uh, the fruit of stamina and, and stubbornness. Those things are not listed on in this list in Galatians chapter 5 because those aren't the fruit of the Spirit. You know, the world will look at this list of the fruit of the Spirit and say, wow. That sounds like a soft person, a weak person. You you demonstrate love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. People will step all over you. Well, you know what? Jesus was stepped all over. And the truth is, we have a God that is so powerful. He goes beyond what this world thinks. In fact, the definition of meekness, and this is what Jesus demonstrated on the cross, the the, the, de- the definition of meekness is great power under control. You cannot demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit in your life without great power under control. Because it doesn't take much of our flesh. It just takes a little bit to get aggressive, to get defensive, to get assertive. Anybody can do that. And you don't need the power of God's spirit to do those things. Why? Because that's sort of the natural reaction of our flesh. But to demonstrate the fruit of the spirit, that's the only good fruit that comes from walking in the spirit. So Cindy, I hope that helps. Great question. I could talk about that forever. But thank you for your call. Let's go back to our phone lines. Ruben from Seguin, our dear friend, you're on the air. God bless, Pastor Ken. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, the more I hear you, the more I, I enjoy your insights into the Word of God. As as you know, it's like Pastor Ron's never left. It's just one continual thing. That's a good thing. And, <laughs> That's the best like compliment that. you can pay me. Thanks, Ruben. 
You're welcome. If I may say hi to Pastor Ron and Mama Paula, if they're listening, uh, yes. I hope that you're having a blast on the beach and and just you know wherever you may be, and just we miss you guys. Um, I I don't have a, a question per se. I was just wondering if I may, if I could just speak my heart on something that's just been weighing sure on me. Um, <clears throat> This world, I mean, and I don't need to tell you, it's, it's, it is going upside down. And if you know what I mean, it's just what's right is wrong and what's wrong is right. And, you know, and the Bible says it, the Bible says that, you know, they're going to, at the end days, they're going to call what's bad, good, and what's good, bad. You know, uh, a couple of days ago for the first time, I saw a commercial that was aimed at kids and it broke my heart pastor mm. ken um and it was a uh a, a gay pride um commercial that was specifically aimed at kids about cross-dressing mm. and being and it broke my heart and i literally cried i literally cried i said lord what are we doing? Why aren't we standing up for our children? Look at the commercials that are on national TV, on on Nickelodeon, because that's mm. where I saw it. When my, my little niece was watching her Nickelodeon shows, I can't tell her what to watch because that's her parents let her watch it. But I thought if that was my kid, I wouldn't let her watch that Nickelodeon anymore because of what they they uh, believe in and it it just broke my heart how this person just blatantly said it's okay to come out and if you're if you're young cross dress be who you are mm. you know be be who who um they didn't say god but be who you were made to be and I'm like you were made to be in the image of god that's right and that that is not the image of God. You have got this thing so twisted, and and then I I, I you know, it, like I said, I just I cried, and um, I just I, you know I just want to like I said, just pour my heart just for just for a sec, and say uh, to the Christian community out there, as a whole, we need to do more to protect our children. The enemy is killing, and I didn't realize this, the enemy is killing God's bloodline, God's descendants, his bloodline. He's killing them systematically by cutting off procreation. Right, right. And I never, I, go ahead. Well, Ruben, I was going to say, I, I share your heart, and I understand, I love the fact that your heart breaks. And you're absolutely right. You know, the the devil is the one that 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 controls the, the society we live in. It's obvious. And it's not even uh, hidden anymore. It's just blatant uh, against God and against anything that Jesus stands for. You know, uh, two things I want to talk about. And... I, I love the fact that you recognize that this is demonic because it is. But the first thing I want to say, Ruben, is this. The people and even the culture we live in is fixing them or, or uh, changing social order is not the way that we bring people to Christ. What we do is we talk to them about Jesus. And now I know you, Robin. I know your heart, and I know that's exactly what you want. So, yes, your heart should be broken, but don't be caught up in finding solutions to fix these things. Instead, what we do is we bring people to Jesus. We point people to Jesus. So when we see, like for your example, commercials on TV and your niece is sitting with you, 
obviously this commercial is geared towards uh, uh, leading young minds towards a, a life that is friendly to the LGBT community. Well, instead of getting mad at the commercial or, or, or mad at the show or the channel, we have to expect that. And the way we combat that is because, remember, our weapons are not carnal weapons. The weapons of our warfare are spiritual weapons. So you take that as an opportunity to say to your niece, you see what, what this is on TV is not what God planned for us. This is what the Bible says, that we are made in his image and that he loves us and that anyone who is not born again is going to live a lifestyle that is according to the world. And so the first point I wanted to make, Reuben, is let your heart be broken. It should be. But you don't fight with carnal weapons. You don't, we don't need to do more to save our kids. What we, what we need to do is turn our kids' attention to Jesus every opportunity we have. Because there's always going to be something that the world around us is going to take. And, you know, you said, uh, like what Paul wrote to Timothy, what Isaiah prophesied in chapter 5, that evil will be called good and good will be called evil. And in chapter 5 of Isaiah, they, they blatantly drag their sin around town, parading it as if they're proud. Well, that describes the world that we live in. But we can't be surprised. This is exactly what we expect from people that don't have the Spirit of God. The second thing is this. When we, when we see that the world around us is becoming more evil, uh, we look at Scripture and we realize, like, yes, we're going to uh, do the best that we can to rightly represent the Lord and find individuals that are lost. But it's not our mission to change the world. It's not our mission to change society as a whole. What we do is we reach individuals, individuals for Jesus Christ. And that's how we impact the world around us. And again, you know, using your, your, your niece as an example, these horrible things that they see on TV and you're not the parent, like you said, you can't control, but you can say, you know what, uh, I'm here, I don't want to see this, this is why, because this is in direct opposition to God's Word, and use it as an opportunity to share Jesus with your niece or whoever's around you. That might make you unpopular, Reuben, but that's okay. That's okay. You need to take a stand for righteousness and use it as an opportunity not to get mad at people, not to get mad at the world around us, but to recognize, I mean, this is what sinners do. Sinners will sin. And to expect Christian behavior from unsaved people is to miss the point altogether. These people are the object of our ministry. They're not the enemy. Does that help, Ruben? No, I love that. I love what you just said. Yes, sir, it does. And thank you so much. Thank you're, you so you're much. welcome. I love your heart, Ruben. It's really good to hear from you, my friend. Likewise. Have a good day. All right. Let's go back to our questions that were submitted. That opens up the phone lines. If you want to call, we do have a few minutes left. In the meantime, the next question here is from Joe. I believe the Bible to be inerrant, but help me understand this the, the apparent discrepancy between the creation account regarding plants. Genesis chapter 1 says God created plants on day 3, but Genesis chapter 2 seems to indicate that God created plants with man. Joe, good question, but this one is a pretty simple one to, to answer. Uh, don't be confused by what seems like, and you, I like the way you wrote this, an apparent discrepancy. Uh, 
Because God doesn't contradict himself. Here's a simple answer. Genesis chapter 1, day 3, is the creation of the seed plants, the, the, the vegetation and the grasses. These, these are the ones that were created on day 3. Now, when you skip to chapter 2, there in day 6, when we talks about Adam being created, there in verse 5 of chapter 2, I think it's verse 5 or 6, but it, he's talking about different types of plants. These are the plants of the field. Um, these are the ones that would be uh, bushes or, or, or shrubs. But these are the different ones. So it's simply the different kinds of plants that were created on day six. I hope that helps. Thanks for your question, Joe. Next question is from Joseph. What does 1 Corinthians 15, verse 29 mean when referring to the baptism of the dead? Uh, we've taken this question before. I think Pastor Ron has asked this. This is actually a pretty common one. And here's a simple answer, Joseph. I really don't know. I, I don't know what the baptism of the dead is referred to. This is the only place in Scripture that this is um, notated or even referred to. Uh, there are lots of uh, theories and commentaries that will describe what it's possibly referring to, likely some pagan practice of the culture. But here's what we do know. Um, and Paul here, writing to the Corinthian church, is not endorsing baptism for the dead. What he's saying is this. Now, if there's no resurrection, that's the context of the conversation. What will those who are baptized, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? So Paul isn't saying, or he isn't confirming or affirming that baptism for the dead should be a biblical practice. Unfortunately, this is what some of the cults do. They take this one verse and just run with it and do baptisms for for people who have already died, which is not biblical. What Paul is doing here is simply reemphasizing his point is that the resurrection is real. The resurrection is real. It's real because uh, proven by the fact that you have this cultural belief that, that isn't even real, where you baptize for the dead, implying that you do believe there is some type of resurrection later on. Again, he's not endorsing this cultic, cultural thing, whatever it is, and it doesn't matter what it is, because it's not something we're supposed to do. But he's saying, Paul is arguing and saying, if you don't believe in the resurrection, then why do you even do these things that point to a resurrection? And that's what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about. Remember, it's important when you're reading your Bible to look at the context, the bigger context. And that 15th chapter of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians focuses on the resurrection using Jesus as an example and pointing to our future resurrection when these bodies give out. And he's using convincing arguments to his audience, and this phrase or this practice, again, would be something they are familiar with. What it is specifically, we don't know, and it doesn't matter. So, Joseph, thanks for your question. We are right inside three minutes, so I don't have time to take any more phone calls? I can answer this one. This is a short one. Bert, he says, isn't it arrogant for us to think that we, we're the only beings created in this universe? How do we know aliens don't exist? I think I took a question about this last week or earlier this week. Alien seems to be a common topic, you know, the whistleblower and all these things. Let me be clear. Aliens are not real. Aliens are not real. And these things, whatever speculation is around them, no matter what evidence there is, these are meant to distract us from 
the Word of God. How do we know aliens aren't real? Because Genesis chapter 1 is the creation account, and it says very clearly that God created man. He created Adam. That means man. He didn't create, or he didn't talk about creating any extraterrestrial beings or life outside. And, and Bert, I would add this. If you ask if it's arrogant for us to think that we're the only beings created in this universe, you miss the point entirely. I would say it's arrogant for us to think otherwise, because God specifically said we are his workmanship, his craftsmanship, his poema. He created us in his image. And what's out there in another world, in another galaxy, is irrelevant because God says his work is here on earth. Let's say in the future there's some spacecraft or they find the ability to go even further. doesn't matter what they find out there. God's focus is here on man and salvation for mankind through faith in Jesus Christ. Bert, I hope that helps. Thank you for your question. Well, you can hear the music. That means we are at the end of the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken, and again, I'm filling in this week for Pastor Ron. We will be back on the air at 4 o'clock tomorrow here on KSLR. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.